At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we're starting out with one of the biggest and most critical questions after a cancer diagnosis. What happens next? What do the stages of breast cancer mean? What treatments are available? How could treatment affect fertility? And many more. It was my pleasure to host a recent episode of Baptist Health's Resource Live program with some of our top breast cancer experts who covered the most frequently asked questions with insights gained through the years of battling breast cancer alongside their patients. My guests were Dr. Louise Morell, Medical Director at Lynn Cancer Institute at Baptist Health's Boca Raton Regional Hospital, Dr. Jane Mendez, Chief of Breast Surgery at Miami Cancer Institute, and Dr. Anna Botero, a radiation oncologist at Miami Cancer Institute. Let's hear what they had to say. Um, let's get started. Um, and Louise, I'm going to direct the first question at you. What are the providers within a clinical care team, a cancer care team? If a woman's diagnosed with breast cancer, it's not just them and an individual. What's the makeup of the team that manages breast cancer? Yeah, I think every woman or nearly every woman I've ever met who has a new diagnosis of breast cancer, I'm sure my colleagues would say the same thing. Um, the word by itself causes so much terror that you might not even be able to think straight. But at the end of the day, getting information and getting a plan is what gets that under control. In other words, getting really confident that you know everything that you need to know before you start treatment. And that is a team. And that's, I think, what you're referring to. Um, I, I organize my thinking this way. Basically, when you have cancer of the breast, you have three goals. One is get it out don't let it come back and don't let it spread. It's that simple because if that's what happens, then you're cured, right? If it never comes back, if it's out, it's gone. So those core things require the specialization of a surgeon who's going to get it out, of the radiation oncologist who's going to assure that it doesn't come back in the same area, and of the medical oncologist who is ultimately going to plan how do we prevent it from spreading. But because of all the breakthroughs and advances that have come in this field, there are other going to be other people involved in your care, some of whom a patient might meet and some whom that we consider very, very critical to the team. Pathology, molecular testing, the kind of uh, detailed testing that goes on requires a pathology team that has expertise at breast. Radiology, the person who is seeing this imaging, doing the multiple tests, really helping us assess what needs to be removed is a critical part of that team. We consider the social worker, the nutritionist, the support services also critical parts of that team, even they're not making necessarily the treatment decisions. So for me, that's the expanse of the team. And then we've added genetics because genetic information at the beginning of treatment may be important for some patients, increasingly so. So clearly some of those resources would be very patient-centric. Some might be behind the scenes, but it's a multidisciplinary approach to taking the individual with cancer and providing the best resources available, um, which is uh, done at the Lynn Center at the Miami Cancer Institute. So uh, a great start, great kick, kickoff information. Um, Jane, so going back to a, a woman's diagnosed with breast cancer, um, mammogram, usually the first test, what 
would a woman's experience be after they have a mammogram and uh, the ordering doctor says, I'm concerned, this looks like maybe a malignancy? What, what additional testing might be done? Give a, an example of what the patient experience might be. So, you know, when you have a mammogram, just when you're completely symptomatic, that is a screening mammogram. And if something is detected on the screening mammogram, they might recommend additional views or to complement that mammogram with an ultrasound. And then the state of the art is to do image detected breast biopsies. So do a needle biopsy in the area where it's um, identified, let it be by ultrasound or by mammography, so we can lead to the diagnosis even before bringing that patient to the operating. That is the state of the art. And then once we have the diagnosis, depending on this particular case, sometimes we might need to order in selected patients, breast MRI or magnetic resonance imaging uh, so that we can get more information to define the extent of disease or to exclude any multicentric breast cancers, better assess the axilla, or sometimes if it's very dense breast tissue, even exclude any contralateral breast cancer. But the state of the art, as you already mentioned, and the gold standard is mammography complemented by ultrasound. So fo- follow up with that, if you would. Um, regarding are there different kinds of breast cancers? And when we talk about the stages of breast cancer, can you, can you speak to what that means a little bit? Yeah, first I'll talk about what the different types of breast cancer are. Number one, over the past 20 years, we really learned more about the fact that there's different subtypes of breast cancer. Uh, the most common is those that respond to the female hormones that respond to the estrogen and the progesterone. They're called as luminal, e breast can- luminal A breast cancers. There's others that don't respond to any of the uh, hormones or the receptors that we know about, the estrogen, the progesterone, the HER2. Those are known as the basaloid or triple negative breast cancers. And we have those that respond to the HER2 receptor. And those uh, certainly have a specific target that we can aim as part of the treatment. When it comes to the staging, the way that we stage breast cancer is called the TNM. T stars for tumor size, N stars whether there's involvement of the lymph nodes or not, and M whether it's spread distant, what is called metastasis. So the earliest stage is at stage zero, and the obviously the uh, latest stage is at stage four, where we already have evidence of distant spread. So the key is early detection. So the detection, further imaging, stage it, find out the type, and then treatment plans are set based on that Absolutely. And as Dr. Morell alluded to, Luis, that the base on that type is when this multidisciplinary team that we alluded to earlier will tailor and individualize the therapy to the patient's own, you know, comorbidities, to the patient's type of breast cancer, so we can start to do that planning. So it's the tailoring of the treatment. So, um, Anna, if you could pick that thought up. Um, 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 Jane mentioned hormonal therapy, chemotherapies, et cetera. Go, go through a little bit what are the kind of different treatment options, at least in broad categories, for um, uh, various forms of breast cancer. Right. Um, in general, the main pillars of the treatment is um, surgery, chemotherapy, radiation therapy, and what we call hormonal therapy, the pills for five years. And not uh, all the patients qualify for those. But not um, every patient needs uh, the three modality of treatment, and they uh, some of those patients um, may need only surgery and chemo or surgery and radiation 
or uh, even chemotherapy and radiation, or even a single modality of treatment. As uh, Jane uh, mentioned, it's dependent on not only of the staging of the patient based on the tumor size, the status of the lymph nodes, and evidence of a distant metastasis or not, but also uh, we take in consideration the age of the patient, but more than the age, I would say that is the performance status of the patient, um, other comorbidities or other disease, and very important, um, what is the patient wishes, what do the patient want? So I think that um, um, summarizing basically very important that the patient is aware of um, early detection, uh, consultation right away, finding the right team, having good communication, having good understanding um, and not fear about the treatment that is coming, but not to believe that because we are recommending, let's say, surgery, chemo, and radiation is because uh, she's the very um, advanced stage. Actually, many early stages we treated with the combination of the three um, modalities of therapy. Um, and not always surgery is the first one, and then chemo, and then radiation. Sometimes, um, um, chemotherapy goes up front to facilitate or to test the tumor and to prevent the spread of the disease and then the surgery and then the radiation. Um, so it's a multiple, multiple uh, potential treatments that as Jane said, you have to, we have to tailor specifically for that patient. Not every patient is uh, just because it's the same as stage three has the same uh, type of treatment for stage three. Every single patient is different, not only because uh, as, a, as a patient, as um, staging, uh, comorbidities, as well as, um, as your own wishes, you know? How urgent should the diagnosis follow with um, assessment and subsequently treatment? Time is, is, it is important. Definitely it's important. And I will say that the sooner that the patient starts the treatment, the better. But it's not like a, the tumor is growing, you know, in 24 hours. Uh, finding, that's why it's so important to find the team, uh, multidisciplinary, that the uh, you don't have to be going from one hospital to the other or from one physician to the other and waiting for appointment, that everything is coordinated. So as soon as um, the patient gets some plan of the treatment, some directive of treatment, some recommendations, I think that the sooner that the patient is scheduled, for example, for the surgery, after the recovery of the surgery, um, the sooner that they start the chemotherapy. And after the chemotherapy, specifically for radiation, we let the patient, you know, have maybe one or two weeks uh, for recovery, and then we start the variation. Typically, you know, it could be two, three weeks between the, each modality of therapy, but um, time is very important. Uh, and not by saying that, that is just to panic and say that, I, you know, I have to have the surgery tomorrow. So the, the efficiency of the team, the coordination of your care, again, that's what separates the higher programs of which um, um, you all participate. So, so Louise, when, when a woman finds out they have breast cancer, um, is it hereditary? What would you tell a woman regarding family members um, uh, in terms of any types of uh, evaluations? Yeah, Jonathan, I think that, um, I, I think that most uh, women in reaction to learning they have breast cancer, the very first thing is going to be what's going to happen to me, what do I need to do? And then probably not a breath away is what does this mean to my family? And so as a result of that, for a long time now, we've introduced quite early on um, that sort of family risk assessment and what is the role of genetic testing. And that, of course, has evolved quite a bit. I mean, um, most of uh, folks have heard of the BRCA gene or the BRCA gene, 
um, and are aware of the Angelina Jolie story and of, of that testing being available. But again, trying to figure out when and how to incorporate that, incorporate that into treatment planning um, is an interesting um, question. And so we want to address it right away. In other words, we want to we want to address by taking a family history um, and then by speaking to the patient about what can be learned from the genetic testing. Sometimes learning a gene is going to influence treatment, um, surgical choices, especially in younger women. And so we, we incorporate that from the very beginning um, so that that is important. But most of the time that information is going to be more important for future screening, um, for family members, and um, ultimately actually in the last few months, um, an important article um, and, and bit of research on a targeted drug for specifically BRCA patients um, was published, and that data is now being incorporated to sometimes we're treating um, people based on their BRCA, not very often, and so um, that becomes another reason to do that genetic testing. So, so, so Jane, if the genetic testing would be considered indicated for family members uh, of someone with breast cancer, what if a woman has no family history of breast cancer and, and says, should I get, are there any genetic tests out there? Is there anything for someone yes. without that family history that um, they should either yes. A, be concerned with or B, have done? Yeah, Jonathan, this is a really important area because only 5% of breast cancers are explained by genetic predisposition. 10% of women have a family history, but with not a genetic mutation that we can identify that leads to action. And ultimately, 85% of breast cancers occurs sporadically. So the minority of women who get diagnosed with breast cancer have some either family history or genetic predisposition. So it's a really small number. So I try to clarify that to the patients right from the get-go. Women diagnosed with breast cancer below age 50 all are considered to be candidates for genetic testing. And we have a fabulous group of genetic counselors and geneticists and will refer the patients for genetic testing. And nowadays there's been an explosion of genetic information and um, it's, we can have genetic panels. And it's not only about surgical implications and treatment implications, but also about prevention for the future. Because somebody's identified with something like the BRCA mutations, either one or two, we also have to then refer them for ovarian cancer and GYN oncology evaluation. So I think it's a very useful piece of information for that the patient can also prevent other potential cancers that might be associated with the particular gene that is identified. And there's many that are associated with breast cancer. And when it comes to other family members being tested, certainly the patient has the uh, right to share that genetic information with their relatives. And then the genetic counselors are really helpful in then contacting those family members with the patient's permission so that that way they can get tested if indicated. So if a woman has no family history of breast cancer, clearly self-examination and mammography still remains the gold standard. Doing a genetic test and it being normal does not really... Correct. Not at no, risk. But if they're below age 40, and below age 50, and they get out with breast cancer, with or without a family history, we will refer them for genetic testing. Fair because enough. the younger you are, the higher the index of suspicion for a potential genetic mutation. In the early days, um, by early is not that long ago, but um, initially we could only really test one or two 
cancer gene at a time. So BRCA1, BRCA2, for example. And the technology that um, she alluded to is that we can now do panels of tests because you can literally do as many genes as you want to. And so a question that often comes to my attention is, if I was already tested in the past, do I need to do a test again um, with the updated test? And really, the answer to that question is generally probably yes. Um, depending on what the indication was, if you were tested before 2014, that did not include the panel. So anybody who did that test before that, you were, were basically, unless you were in a research testing setting, um, had, had the standard kind of um, sequence testing and the panel testing became available after 2014. And we do have data that tells us about 5 to 10% of individuals who tested negative on the initial kind of testing will have some kind of a finding. Maybe not BRCA, maybe not as potent, but something that's useful to the family. So depending on the original indication for doing the testing, we are offering retesting. So it's not that if you had testing a long time ago, it was inaccurate. It's just that the panels and the genetic testings have expanded yes. that there's still benefit. And, and I do want to uh, um, hopefully you guys agree, caution that if one wants a genetic test, it's really important to have genetic counseling with it. Absolutely. And what the test shows, what it may show, what the implications are. Just getting a result in the mail may give wrong information or at least wrong action. That and also the patients need to have an understanding of what the results might represent. Right. Because even if you have a genetic mutation, it's not 100% guaranteed that you're going to develop the cancer associated with it. Uh, and sometimes you find things about your family that you didn't even know. So you really need to be prepared by the genetic counselors to really be able to understand the information. When women are diagnosed with breast cancer at, at childbearing age, I know it's part of the decision in treatments. As we said, everything's individualized. What would be the effects of, of radiation or chemotherapies on fertility or what, what is discussed and what, what outcomes are, uh, come from those discussions? Any breast cancer patient that is at the uh, childbearing age um, should be educated about uh, the, how the fertility, uh, her fertility could be impacted just, you know, at, the, at the moment of the diagnosis as well as in the future uh, with the cancer um, treatment. So we have a uh, really amazing uh, oncofertility um, department in which um, after we discuss with the patient if, um, if they desire um, to preserve the fertility, we refer the patient to this um, oncofertility program. They evaluate the patient. Um, and if the patient wants to proceed, um, they have to understand that at, at the minimum probably will be a month uh, before proceed with the treatment, but it will be for the egg uh, retrieval. Um, after that, um, the patient uh, start treatment. Uh, they also have to understand that during the uh, chemotherapy, most likely they will protect also um, uh, their fertility uh, with uh, some type of hormonal therapy that is some injection with Solarex. Chemotherapy could last for three or six months. Uh, typically, without this protection, uh, still young females could uh, get pregnant, probably 20, 30% of them can still have, um, you know, uh, have a baby and get pregnant in the future. With this type of treatment, uh, we might say that uh, probably you increase your chances of uh, preserve uh, fertility, probably 50%, 50-50. And um, some patients have to really delay the potential or the probability of, um, you know, getting pregnant uh, for the five years of, um, of the entire treatment with the um, hormonal therapy. 
I'm going to ask one last question to Louise and then give everyone an opportunity for a final question. Talk about how important it is to have that strong support system and what's provided um, by uh, your services um, in that circumstance. And and then Louise, I'll, I'll turn to you first. Yeah, I think you're right. It does fit the theme, right? We started with what's the importance of the team and we started with the key sort of physician providers because that's going to be the part that we always want to start with is how do we cure this? How do we make sure you have every piece of information that you need? But I think everybody here knows and agrees how critical it is to have that sense of a team and the resources. Everybody is coming at this from a different situation in their life. And, and different support people around them, but everybody needs to do this as support. Nobody has faced this before. Um, this is, this is going to be all new in territory. And having the psychological support, if it's a social worker support, if it is um, support groups, if it's nutritional, all of those pieces are absolutely as critical to the success of this as every breast cancer patient will tell you. And I think that comes back to the key of getting your care at a cancer center. It's just not like going to a doctor's office and going in and getting the treatment and walking out. It's about an entire team, including those resources that make this really a journey that includes the patient at the center and the team around them. And that is so critical to getting through this and the survivorship on the other side. Thank you. Um, Jane, any final comments, any thoughts? Yeah, I think um, to follow up on Luis just said, you know, it's patient-centered care. You know, we've talked about the importance of the team, about also the importance of the support of the family, where I think it's, it's sometimes that fifth element of care that we don't really consider, but it's so important to get the patient through the breast cancer journey. And ultimately, how to stress that the individualization of their care is critical in getting to where we are today, where... If somebody is diagnosed with stage one breast cancer, we have 98.5 survival at 10 years. So it's a real testament to all these specialties coming together to accomplish that over the past four decades. Wonderful points. And Anna, final final thoughts, comments? Final point is that um, there's kind of a message of hope for everybody, you know, because uh, breast cancer is kind of uh, so common that it's a matter of uh, when at some point is going to, we are going to be the ones to be affected by that. But I uh, just... Um, a message of hope because uh, patients that are early stage, um, they are really, really high chance to get cured. And even in the worst situation that patients are diagnosed with a stage four, um, uh, you know, with more advanced disease or a spread disease, there's a lot of hope nowadays, thanks to the new medications uh, that we have available, target therapy, immunotherapy and such. And uh, from the radiation therapy also, treatments used to be kind of really, you know, more side effects and benefit, but nowadays, with the technology that is available, it's a very short treatment and pretty much no side effects and really highly effective for local control, even from the distant metastasis. So again, it's an individual basis, but there's a lot of hope, not only for being alive, cured, uh, but in sometimes even um, for the quality of life, for example, quality of life. To our listeners, remember that you can send us your comments and suggestions for future topics at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's Baptist Health Talk at baptisthealth.net. I'm half of everyone at Baptist Health. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.